Amen. Amen. Um, a wonderful book that I read a while ago is called The Weight of Glory. It's written by C.S. Lewis. He says this. I'm just going to kind of quote this, and I'm going to come back to this quote. He says, We live in a world starved for solitude, silence, and privacy, and therefore we are starved for deep meditation. He first spoke these words in 1941 and later put them in book form in 1949, a day and age when they didn't have nearly the amount of things to distract them, right? Not nearly as much. We have pocket computers now that buzz and tick remind us of all sorts of things, beeping and buzzing, right? All sorts of things in our world today to distract us that we can use or mobilize as coping mechanisms. But yet, even in the 40s, he's saying, he's saying, we, we lived in a world starved for solitude, silence, and privacy, and therefore starved for deep meditation. What might he say today? You know, you think about that with all the things we have to distract us ourselves with. The quiet aspects of our lives, when we go through difficulty, we need to process. And we need to quiet our lives. And we need the mental, emotional bandwidth to walk through them with God. To actually meditate. Right? But we know this is difficult. And I think because we do live in a busy world, in a busy area, and we're busy people surrounded by things being bombarded all the time... I think it's hard for us to emulate the rhythm of this, of this psalm here, which is to actually lament and to humanize the brokenness in our lives, to ask questions of, Lord, what are you doing in and through this brokenness? How can it be good But then also do the hard work of remembering God's in it? He's working through it all, and that one day he will redeem us in even a more beautiful and glorifying way. Not just spiritually, but also emotionally and physically when he comes back to resurrect both the dead and the living. And there is hope. But I think because we're busy, and I think because also we live in a busy world, we don't slow down to be able to do this. And so Asaf, what he's doing here is he's giving us an opportunity to slow down with him, to slow down with the community, Israel, who he's speaking to, and to hear from hear from what the Lord's doing in and through him, because this is breathed out by God. And so this is a healthy, healthy lamenting. This is what he says. He says, I cry aloud to God. He says, and guess what? God will hear me. This is good. He's going through something trouble. He's crying out to God. Who's he turning to? He's turning to the Lord first. So this is a good start. He says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord and he says that this trouble must be really intense because it's bothering him even in the night. Even in the night, he says, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. And he says, and when I remember God in this angst that I'm in, I moan. And when I try to meditate, my spirit faints. Right? Why? What's going on? This is a guy who's leading the people, Right? Under the united monarchy, both King David and King Solomon, he's leading the nation of Israel, that's his role and job, in worship week in and week out. Knows the Lord, loves the Lord, leads the people to help them love the Lord. What's going on? What's he doing? When he thinks about God, he knows God's all-powerful, he's omnipotent. But when he thinks about him, 
He moans and his spirit faints. When he thinks about his circumstances, what God could be doing, but currently is not doing for whatever reasons, he moans, his spirit faints. This is a man who's maybe a little bit stressed. Maybe he's a little bit frustrated. Maybe he's a little bit exhausted from the difficulty. Maybe a man who can only look literally just beyond his front two feet because of whatever trials, tribulations he's going through. Whatever the the kingdom of Israel, what they might be going through. Do we know what the suffering is that he's walking through? The trauma? We do not. It does not tell us. We can imagine what that might be, right? But he doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that he is a healthy human being who's venting. And he's venting to God. He's reaching out to him. He's crying out to God because he knows his God will hear him. That's a healthy step. But what he's doing, he's lamenting to God about his reality, his present circumstances. And this is what's called godly complaining. This is different from grumbling. Grumbling is placing the blame on God, saying, you're, you're the one doing this evil. What he's saying is, Lord, this ought not be in my life. This, this ought not be in the life of Israel. And the reason why this is healthy is because in a post-Genesis 3 world, things happen that ought not happen. And he's expressing that. And so this lament is on par with with Asaph's reality and what scripture says about reality post-Genesis 3 because everything, unlike the Lego song, is not awesome, right? We're looking forward to a day when it will be awesome, but it is not right now. And so I appreciate these verses because this gives me great comfort that when things don't go right in my life um, or on my campus or in the churches I reach out to and care for, um, that I can actually express myself to God in a very open way. He hears and listens and he delights and this, me coming to him. When I process my childhood wounds that I have as a pastor's kid, um, guess what? He hears me when I cry out to him. That's a good thing. When I go through difficulties, right? Um, traumatic events, even in just different things that have happened throughout my young years, I can go to God with those things. When Alicia and I are going through different things as a married couple, when we have children, the Lord hears me. This is the first aspect of saying, Lord, he's saying, talk to me. He's saying, Jeff, talk to me, and I want to listen. And this is a good reminder that even if uh, we're a little frustrated, he says, I'm here to sit down with you, to be quiet with you, and to talk with you. That's a beautiful thing. But not only does he offer us an aspect to model healthy lamenting to God when things aren't right, he also goes further, and look what it says in verses like 4 through 9. We see this aspect of asking questions of God, intensifying this lament a little bit. He says, when I remember what's going on in my present circumstances, and I'm reflecting on these things in the night because they're keeping me up, he says, let me meditate in my heart. But when he begins to meditate and think about God and think about his circumstances, he starts asking questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has the Lord's character changed? Has his steadfast love for it forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious, he's asking? Has God in his anger towards me and the nation of Israel, has he shut up his compassion? Right? Is, is he no longer going to hear me? Is, what, what's going on here? He's beginning to, to ask some pretty deep questions. Lord, I professionally, I lead your people week in and week out. But yet, I, I feel your absence. I've known your presence, but I feel your absence. And I'm trying to love your people. What's going on? I know you're omnipresent, but I don't see it right now. Don't see your fingerprints moving in the background. They're nowhere to be seen. Are your covenantal promises that you've given 
the people of God time and time again and reminding them of your continual steadfast love. Has it ceased now? Because I'm not seeing it. I'm not experiencing it. This is a man who feels alone at this moment in time. Known the presence of God, leads people into the presence of God, but he's being a human and he's admitting that he's feeling pretty alone right now. Could you relate to that? Ever had moments like that? Today, you're going through stuff. Is there a moment where you're feeling that now? I've known moments like this. Let me tell you. He knows the Lord is omniscient. He knows what's going on, but yet he's feeling the stinging absence of his Savior. Right? The good news is there's there's something more true than his feelings. He may feel this way, but he knows something that's more true. And that's why there's a beautiful shifting that takes place in the next set of verses. Because the shifting that takes place is that he's being reminded, I feel this way. But at the same time, when I recall what God's done in the past, where I remember his mighty works and mighty deeds, I remember that God is faithful. He was yesterday, he's been today, and I know he will be tomorrow. And what he's beginning to do is to set his mind on something that's more true than the stinging absence that he's feeling right now. Because he's not alone. God is with him. But he's, in the quietness of the day, he's beginning to think through this. There's something more true than what I'm feeling right now. And this is what he says. He says in verse 10, I will appeal to this. I will appeal to the right, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. And you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Just as a lawyer might appeal to a former case, right, to try to set a precedent in his current case, what's going on here is that also he's trying to lay out a precedent. Lord, when I set my mind and I think about the mighty acts that you've done in Exodus, right, the plagues, all that you did to save your people, how you stretched out your hand and even parted these, when I think about what you've done to provide for your people throughout history and I reflect on it, I'm reminded you are with your people. Even when it probably felt like 400 years of silence, you are with them. There is something bigger going on, and you are faithful. What he's doing is he's arguing against his own heart's ruling and judgment because his heart has judged his circumstance and situation pretty bleak and that God's not really anywhere to be seen, but he's saying, but when I think about your faithfulness to the people of the past, when I think about a grander perspective of how you work through those traumatic events, those difficulties, I see that you are always with your people. That perspective is helpful. And he begins to shift towards this glory of God saying, God doesn't leave his people. It may be dark, it may be hard, but he has not left you, he will not forsake you because that's not who God is. And so he's doing a little bit of WWF wrestling with his heart right now, that's what is happening here. And beginning to try to think through Maybe this isn't hopeless, right? But maybe there's something good here. And I want to say as a thought here, um, this is the hard work of slowing down, putting your phone down, getting away from your computer, your emails, your work, whatever it might be, so you can actually maybe even take time to process your junk, your stuff, 
that's in your closet that even if you lock the door shut, guess what? At some point in time, it will bust out. How do I know, right? Because it's happened in my life already. I've worked with older couples. I've seen it happen in their life. I work with young couples now. I see it all the time. Being a human being means there's brokenness in your past and reality. We've got to walk through that. If slowing down is something you're not able to do on your own, this is why we can talk to our friends or elders or deacons or pastors. This is why we can talk to counselors to help us think through and process through this stuff. I've seen many of counselors in my day, and I'm grateful for it and healthier for it. Because sometimes I need people to help me slow down. Sometimes I'm not able to do that. But if you need that, Dennis Camper here, Ben's here for you, your elders are here for you. There's wonderful counselors around this. Utilize them to help walk through and process. But at minimum, turn to the scriptures, recall God's faithfulness, the stories of old where you are reminded of something that's more true when you feel alone. That is a helpful aspect. You know, on uh, the end of Exodus, I should say not the end of Exodus, but the end of a monumental historical event, as the people of God were leaving, leaving Egypt, put yourself in their perspective for just a moment, right? They had just fled, they'd handed all this gold and um, Moses and Aaron, they're leading the people of God, and everything's looking awesome right now, right? It's all good. Um, what happens as they're going towards the Red Sea? There's a large army that's coming to kill them. Men, women, children, right? We're talking large droves of people taking their stuff. This is now, just, they're being stuck between a rock and a hard place. And now, I'm sure, if you put yourselves in their perspective, they're thinking, Great, thanks, Moses and Aaron. Thank you, God, that you've freed us just for us to be more easily slaughtered now. Because we're now, we're stuck at the Red Sea. We can't take all these people through this. We're going to get stuck. They'll drown. Thank you for making us easier slaughtered. Right? Mm. None of us are thanking them prior for that, right? But what do you see God do? Dark of night and their circumstance the Lord provides in a beautiful way and a very awesome way. This is what I want you to see. This is the beginning crescendo, the end of this psalm. This is what Asaph, he sings loudly because he's crying out, this is what God, this is what he does with brokenness. He makes a way for his people. And this is what he says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out the water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the world. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way, O Lord, was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The last two verses say, Lord, your way was through the sea, yet your footprints were unseen. But yet you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Imagine they felt like they had been left. God was silent. But God showed up in a really beautiful way. In the Bible, the picture of the sea is often a picture of an image of chaos. That's why in the end of the book of Revelation it says there will be no more sea when Jesus comes and returns a second time. Does that mean there's going to be no more water? Absolutely not. It means that there's no more chaos. Sea is always imaged as chaos. 
says there'll be no more chaos. Why? Because our God parts chaos and makes a way for his people through the chaos. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. I'm not going to lie to you and say that, right? Because what happened after he gets them through the Red Sea? Some tough years of wandering in the desert for his people. But yet, God was faithful. He provided for them, right? Even in the desert. Life may not be easy, but the Lord is with us. You see that. This is what Asaph's doing. He's calling on God's faithfulness and saying, Lord, you're faithful. And he's reminding his heart because his heart needs a good reminder right now through whatever circumstances he's going through. And he's being reminded that God loves him like a bride. Like these young couples that I get to be a part of, right? When the, when the husband's up there, right, and the jaw's being dropped and tears are forming around his eyes because the bride's walking down the aisle and looks glorious. He's being reminded, this is how the Lord looks at you, his faithful bride, the church, reminding that he loves you. He delights in you. He's being reminded it doesn't feel like delight in my circumstances, but there's something more true that we are the bride and we are delighted in. The good news is, right, when we take our New Testament perspective and we put it on this a little bit, we get to see, yes, that we have a greater act of salvation, not just the exodus, right, from physical slavery and bondage, but we also now have an exodus from the sin and darkness and death that we will experience in this life that Jesus Christ saves us, that he is an even greater Moses and greater Aaron. Because not only does he walk with us in this life, giving us his Holy Spirit, he's awaiting for us on the other side of the grave and welcoming us with large arms to give us a giant hug. He reminds us in scriptures that, guess what, my friends, one day there'll be no more tears, there will be no more sorrows. Why? Because Jesus has conquered all evil. He's provided for you in a beautiful way. He's entered into chaos. He's entered into evil. He's conquered it. He's entered into brokenness. And he's come out the other end. And he brings healing to those people who follow in his footsteps and who love him. If God can take what Satan meant for evil and use it for the greatest good in human history, even using some of his closest friends, right, to betray him, he can use our situations for good for beauty, making a more beautiful mosaic from the broken pieces. God does not delight in our pain, but you can look to your God because he entered into pain. And the one day, remind you, there will, no be, there will be no more pain one day. He's with you in the pain, he's gone through it himself, and he's waiting on the other side saying, it's worth it, love me, look to me for faith, and I will help you now, help you cope in healthy ways, and guess what? There's a glorious and beautiful ending to this story too where one day you will see the eternal perspective of what I was doing in and through those broken pieces to bring healing not only to you in ways that you don't understand but to also the community and people around you. He says in closing, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You, Lord, led your people like a flock we, we can read this now. You led your people like a flock by the hand of a greater Moses and a greater Aaron. You have led your people now and forevermore by the hand of your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us like a bride. Amen. Lord is faithful. Pray with me.
Lord, you are faithful. 